just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. We're fully immersed in the weekend, so not as much news being made as during the week, but never fear. We've got a big week coming up. We've got two January 6th hearings, one on Tuesday during the day, and then one on Thursday that's going to be in prime time. And I guarantee you these two hearings are going to blow the lid off of shit. You thought Cassidy Hutchinson was big? I think these two coming up are going to be even bigger. Mark my words on this. Wait till it happens. Tuesday and Thursday of this week, we are going to see some hellacious public hearings. Donald Trump, the Republicans, the trump they are going to take a beating. But since we're in the weekend, you know what I did yesterday? This is what I did. My uh, son and his wife brought my two-year-old granddaughter to a lake to swim. My wife and I showed up. Uh, My daughter-in-law's parents showed up. We sat on the beach and watched this little girl have a hell of a good time. It was adorable. She's two years old. She's standing there with her water wings. She's got a life vest on that said Mermaid Squad across the front. And she was playing in the sand, playing in the water. And guess what? Through that whole time, didn't think once about politics, news, or any of that bullshit. I was trying to soak up as much joy as I can get. And I will tell you, that little girl brings me a lot of joy. Probably more joy than I've had in a long time. And there is a serious shortage of joy these days. So when you see it, you got to grab onto it and hold on to it. Now, my grandson wasn't there. He's my step-grandson, and he was camping with his dad. So it was just the little girl. I had a great time. If that's all I had to do from here on out is hang out with that little kid, I would do it in a minute. She's got energy. She's got hope. She is the future. And uh, there's so much positivity, and as I said, joy coming off that little girl. We could all stand more of that. Well, now it's Sunday. (laughs) I'm not going to watch her swim today. However, we are going to talk about some of the politics and some of the bullshit going on in this world today. And to start things off, what we're going to do is I'm going to read three emails couple of pretty long ones, too. I'm going to read three emails from our listeners because you know how important I think our listeners are. There is as much as a part of this show as I am, and their thoughts and uh, perceptions are absolutely crucial to me. All right, the first one comes from Gordy. He says, good morning, Mike. Thanks again for answering my email. I love your content. I I think he was on the last podcast. I was just curious about the Ukrainian war. Thanks for the update. Please don't feel obligated to keep it at the forefront of our minds. (laughs) I agree with you. Every day here in the USA is a fucking new hits album. The Trump LaFucks 
and the piece-of-shit Republican Party and their minors keep the hits hot. Thanks again for your podcast and other social media outlet information. I love it, Gordy. Thank you, Gordy. And I will tell you this, don't hesitate. If you think I'm missing something, if you think there's a topic I should be talking about, by all means, let me know. As a full-fledged member of the show, as a listener, you have every right to send me a note and say, hey, you're not talking about this, you should talk about that. Uh, What's up with this? Don't hesitate. I'm always anxious to hear it. I certainly don't take offense to it. I I just look at it as uh, one of my producers, which is you folks, coming in and, uh, and giving me some input. All right, this next one comes from, who is it? well, this is a long one. I don't know who it comes from yet. It comes from Paige. It says, hi, I was glad you mentioned Boris Johnson's resignation. One of the greatest reasons to talk about it is because Boris's resignation really centers around Russia, not COVID. The sow and divide done to our country with psychological warfare inside social media, especially in Facebook between 2016 and 2018, were not isolated to America. England and Canada were also targets and all succeeded to a degree. I remember visiting family friends in London when Brexit and the idea to leave the EU were their daily headlines. They said it felt as if it happened overnight and that the average Brit was confused and not in favor of it. After arriving back home, I noticed Brexit was all Steve Bannon began talking about. He became obsessed with the ideas, the idea of getting Boris in and Theresa Mays out. The outspoken preferences and reasons were beginning to sound all too familiar. Fast forward to this week in clips of Boris reluctantly admitting he indeed met with ex-KGB Alexander Lebedev privately without aides both before and after becoming prime minister. Sounds a little familiar. Well, why Page? It certainly does. We know that Trump met with and had Russian operatives living and visiting Trump Towers prior to his run as president. And, of course, the now famous uh, alone times he had with Lavrov and Kislyak at the Oval Office. Remember, we had literal Russian spies in the Oval Office a short time after he was elected. And the ultimate one-on-one Trump insisted on with Putin himself. I understand your point, uh, for there is indeed an overwhelming amount of news in our own country. It's hard to care about Boris's resignation. However, there is an unfortunate link that every citizen should shit. uh, shit. I didn't mean that. Citizens should sit up and notice. Russia has been involved with both of our leaders equally and with both of them before and during their leadership. Now, Boris did the right thing resigning, even if it took him far too long. Between England's snarky ways and Boris's resignation, England has averted a January 6th and other evil acts of destruction we are dealing with here. And if you make like a Brit on your pod from time to time with snarky, I assure you it will be okay. I mean, you are a content-making motherfucker after all. (laughs) Ha ha. 
That's something I said a while back. Um, uh, Content-making motherfucker. <laughs> you know, if I was ever to do a T-shirt or a hat, it, that would probably be on it. As always, thank you for everything. Having Have a great day ahead to Paige. Well, thank you, Paige. And again, you know, this is this is a listener talking to me about the things I'm, I've talked about or should talk about, and she's right. There is a direct connection between America and England when it comes to Russia. The Russians were doing everything they could to impact our elections, and obviously they were doing things to impact what was going on in Britain. Now, the interesting thing is, Boris is often compared or was often compared to Donald Trump because he's a little goofy. Uh, They have different theories on hair, though. (laughs) Donald Trump has to create a fucking helmet just to go outside. Boris doesn't give a fuck. It's flying all over the goddamn place. But Paige, thank you for the email. And the last email. Hi, Mike. The ongoing coup is a serious threat to our government and its citizens. Now that the Supreme Court is clearly demonstrating that they are willing to join in the revolution, the American people are increasingly growing scared. That's true. Will the government be able to protect us from domestic terrorists? I don't actually know because they have not been informing us how they are doing so. What steps are they taking to keep us safe? It appears to me that Biden doesn't know we are at war with a fascist movement and by far the greatest domestic terrorist threat we have ever faced. Now, I don't mean to say that Biden is complicit in any way. I believe he understands what's at stake here. I believe he's fighting for democracy. But for crying out loud, show some fight, Joe. Show us what you and your administration are doing to protect us. Americans are accustomed to uh, periodic government press briefings during the times of crisis. Does the ongoing struggle for democracy not rise to the level of at least periodic press releases with Homeland Security, the FBI, etc., to inform us on how our government is keeping us safe? What the fuck? Needed to vent, Mike. (laughs) Am I way off base here? Thank you, Joshua. Not at all. Not at all. I've said the same thing. I voted for Joe Biden. I support Joe Biden. I think he was the right person to beat Donald Trump and get us out of the clutches of the Republican fucks. But I think Joe Biden has some problems as president. He's an old white guy. That's the first problem. Secondly, you know, he's working off experience from over the last 30 years. What we are looking at now in this country is something we've never seen. You can't take what you've learned over 40, 50 years and apply it today because it's far different. That's why I've always said this midterm thing, everybody says, well, the Republicans will win because they always win in this situation. Well, we've never had this situation. We've never had constitutional rights taken away from 50 percent of the country. We've never had openly trying to suppress votes for people of color trying to take away rights and marginalize LGBTQ people, just being a white supremacist, anti-Semites, and misogynist. The whole thing is far different than anything we've seen, far more dramatic and far more draconian than anything we've seen. So to suggest that things are going to be the same this time around during the midterms is ridiculous, and the same can be said for Joe Biden. 
Don't bring us 80s politics and figure that's going to work now. It's not going to work now. Joe really fought hard for this bipartisan thing, but bipartisanism doesn't even fucking exist now. And the only reason that it doesn't exist is because the Republicans aren't willing to play by the rules that we followed for decades. So now that we know that, then maybe we have to change up our ways, meaning the Democrats. But Joe Biden doesn't do that. He waits till the last minute. He doesn't want to react dramatically, and he doesn't want to do anything that steps outside the bounds that he's used to. Well, as much as I like Joe Biden, right at this point, as a politician in this era, he's a dinosaur. I'm sorry to say that, but he is. I'm still glad he's in office. I'm still glad Donald Trump's not there. But at this point in time, with all that's going on in this country, we need some dramatic changes. We've gone way far right. So maybe we side with the progressives a little bit just to bring us back to the center. The midterms are important, and you're absolutely right. When is the fight going to come out of Joe Biden? I mean, what's it going to fucking take? You're overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, we've got all kinds of things going on, and Joe seems to be calm and cool. And that's that's fine. You know, Obama was pretty calm and cool during his time, but he wasn't up against what Joe Biden is up now. We should be outraged by what is happening. Our country and our government is hanging by a thread, and if that isn't enough to make you fucking angry, I don't know what is. You're right, Joshua. Joe Biden needs to kick it up a notch. He needs to get fucking angry because we are in a horrible situation, a very dangerous situation. This country's very existence is at risk. And if we can't get a little fire out of you from that, well, then it's time to look at other options. Thankfully, the January 6th committee is kicking it up a notch. Hopefully they'll do enough to destroy the Republican Party and they can reset and try to do something different. But Joe Biden, as I've said before in this podcast, there's a lot of things he should be doing, but he's not doing. He wants to be bipartisan. He doesn't want to carve out the filibuster. For whatever reason, he thinks it's a good thing. But if you look at the filibuster and what it's done over the last four or five decades, it's done no good. It's only done harm. And if it's only done harm, why is it hard to say, yeah, let's get fucking rid of it? You can bet if something happens where the Republicans take a slim margin in the Senate, they're going to try to tear apart that fucking filibuster. I guarantee it, even though now they don't want it because the Democrats have power. And that's, you know, that's the big deal about this, this, this filibuster thing. It's not about what's right. It's about causing government not to do anything. You have the majority vote for something, but now the minority can shut it down. Well, that's fine. Nobody loses. You know, everybody gets a participation trophy in our government, in our Senate, But that means we as a people don't get shit done. That's not right. Their job, their first job is to take care of us. And if this filibuster stops them from taking care of us, that clearly can't be a good thing. And the fact that Joe Biden doesn't know that or that he's refusing to change that 
is fucking troubling. Well, now, of course, he is talking about maybe doing something with the filibuster. Maybe he is is for carving out the filibuster for this uh, Roe v. Wade thing. Well, where were you on this on Build Back Better and all the other and gun control and police situations? Where were you on that? You didn't say anything. And now the important thing is, even though he's saying, well, I might be for carving out the filibuster, it doesn't matter because Joe Biden isn't the problem. Joe Biden doesn't get a vote here. It's Joe Manchin and Christian Cinema that are shutting it all down. So Joe Biden can say whatever the fuck he wants. He can now start acting strong. But unless the midterms change things dramatically, meaning we get enough uh, Democrats in the Senate so that we can make Joe, uh, Joe Manchin uh, inconsequential, doesn't fucking matter what Joe does because Joe can't fix it. Now, he is the most powerful man in the world. You would think he could sit down with Joe Manchin and come up with some reason to convince Joe Manchin to vote on it. But up till now, he was right in line with Joe Manchin. We need Joe Biden to do better. These are extraordinary times, and we need to take some extraordinary uh, extraordinary actions. And we need something more than a president just willing to go old school, because old school isn't around anymore. This is a new world, and we need some new ideas to handle it. And there are some people in the House and Senate, Democrats, that have some new ideas. And that's why I think come 2024, it's not going to be Joe Biden. It's certainly not going to be Donald Trump. It's going to be two people that we haven't seen run for president before. I don't know who that will be. Um, But we need to start getting new ideas. First step, we need to win in the midterms, expand the margins so we can get some things done. If we can expand the margins, everything the Democrats have wanted to do can get done for the next two years. We can run the table if the vote goes the right way and the Democrats get enough of a majority. That's the first and foremost thing. So regardless of what Joe Biden does, It doesn't matter until we do what we need to do in the midterms. Then after the fact, then we need to put our thumb on Joe Biden's head and say, "Okay, you got the majorities. You got the power. Now fucking get it done. Am I convinced he'll get it done at that point? No, I'm not. I'm definitely not. Until Joe starts showing us some things, I have to go by what I've seen up to now. As I've said, I'm not ripping Joe apart. He's done a fine job for what he's done. But he's coming off very weak. And that's not necessarily his fault. It's more the fault of Congress. But it's really not the fault of Congress. It's the fault of the people who vote these members into office. We voted. We're the ones responsible for having a 50-50 split in the Senate. So the only person, only people who can fix this is us. So we need to give Joe Biden some more power, but we need Joe Biden to fucking step it up a little bit because that's bullshit. All right, Joshua, thank you very much for your email. All right, here's an interesting story. An Alabama judge has been suspended after an ethics commission accused him of mocking an Asian juror 
referring to the 77-year-old governor as Meemaw, telling defendants that they would be sexually assaulted in prison and repeatedly cursing in his courtroom. Mobile County's 13th Circuit Judge James T. Patterson, a Republican who was elected in 2016, was suspended last month following a complaint from the Judicial Inquiry Commission, the state agency charged with investigating complaints against Alabama judges. The complaint made public on Wednesday details Patterson's inappropriate behavior over the course of several years, including an incident in 2019 when he asked a jury pool that included an Asian if everyone spoke English, (laughs) mocking the Asian accent. That's fucking brilliant. How does this guy even become a judge, let alone one that's appointed? Patterson characterized his comment to the jury pool as a stupid, stupid joke. Yeah, no shit, dude. We expect our judges to be above reproach and at the very least, not fucking racist. The liberals call everyone they disagree with with a racist nowadays, Peter R. Patterson wrote on his Facebook page following his racist comment. I'm nothing of the kind. Well, if it looks like a duck, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, it's a fucking duck. How dare you get mad at the people of the liberals for calling you out for doing something that was in fact racist, you piece of shit. Patterson also made references to defendants being sexually assaulted in prison. When covering the docket for the presiding judge, Judge Patterson said more than once to the defendants that they would be butt-raped in a penitentiary. The complaint said judge also mocked Republican Governor Kay Ivey, 77, by calling her Governor Meemaw over the governor's decision to issue a stay-at-home order at the start of the pandemic. Patterson's former court reporter, along with an assistant district attorney, told the commission that the judge often used inappropriate language in the courtroom and on at least one occasion made the mother of a defendant cry. In court, <laughs> in court Judge Patterson has used the following words. Now, they, they kind of edited them so they didn't say the words, but I'm going to say the words. Uh, Of course I am. He said the following words, fuck, shit, bastard, ass, and asshole. The complaint said, according to his former court reporter, Judge Patterson used the word ass all the time in court as if it was his favorite word. Well, that's ironic because clearly he's a fucking ass. The commission charged Patterson with inappropriate demeanor and temperament and abuse of a judicial authority. He could potentially be removed from office, according to the Associated Press. Judge Patterson's conduct has degraded the public's confidence in the integrity, dignity, and decorum of the judiciary and brought the judicial office into disrepute, the complaint said. I'd have to agree. But the question is, they said this has been going on for several years. I would think the moment he exerted that kind of personality, said those kinds of things, immediately he would be under review. He would be investigated. 
They say this has been going on several years. I wonder what it was that finally made somebody think, you know, maybe we should talk to this fuck. This is the sad thing about our country right now. When people like Donald Trump get into office and the Republicans decide who is going to be a federal judge, they just pull anybody out of their ass. They don't care if they're good as long as they're in line with whatever their agenda is. Case in point, (laughs) Amy Comey Barrett, Brett Kavanaugh, Judge Alito, Clarence Thomas. None of these people were really qualified to be Supreme Court justices, but the Republicans felt like they were going to push along their agenda, so they put them in office. Where is the respect for our judicial system? Our judicial system is supposed to be fair and honest. And with these judges, that's not what we're getting. This fucking idiot, if he isn't exiled off the court, then there's something wrong in fucking Alabama. This guy is a bad guy. He's not a good judge. And if I'm in Alabama, I want a fucking better judge. So hopefully, along with this suspension, he will finally get fucking kicked out. But he's not the only one. We have judges all over the country that should not be in that position. They are only there because fucked up politicians either were their buddies or felt like they could be manipulated or felt like they would push along their agenda. Not because they're good judges, but because they thought they would help one particular side. And don't get me wrong, there's probably plenty of judges out there that were appointed by Democrats that are probably just as fucked up. Every which way we turn... We see politicians, fallible humans, doing fucked up things to make our country worse. That is problematic. Now, as I've told you about the Republicans, we are siding, I am siding with the Democrats because they are the ones that can put out the dumpster fire that we know as the Republicans. But once that dumpster fire is put out and the Democrats have a little power, We need to look close and hard at them, too, because they aren't a lot better. They're way better than Donald Trump and all this other bullshit, but they've been in power for many times over the last multiple decades, and they didn't do shit. They maybe sent money to rich people. So let's get the dumpster fire out, and then we focus on the Democrats and straighten their shit out at that point. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. On every show, I tell you that if you have questions, comments, or complaints, just reach out to me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Those emails come directly to me, and your input is crucial to this show. The show is called Rational Boomer Podcast, but that's not to suggest that I'm the Rational Boomer. I am not. I am simply a Rational Boomer. All of you are Rational Boomers. Anybody of a like mind is a Rational Boomer. Strength comes in numbers and not through an individual. You have perceptions and insights that may have never occurred to me. This isn't a show about me. This is a show about us and gaining a voice in this country. There's 70 million baby boomers in this country. Yeah, I know the younger folks would prefer to push us aside. Every generation has done that. But we are a formidable force if we can get together and speak in one voice. 
This is why I encourage you to let your friends and family know about the Rational Boomer podcast, not to satisfy my ego, but to give us more power, a stronger voice to help right this ship we call the United States of America. Lastly, I'm offering the opportunity for my listeners to be on the show. Now, it could be two minutes, it could be a half hour, it could be the whole fucking show. I'd much rather have you on the show than somebody pimping a podcast or a book. I want to hear what you think. I want to know what you know. The Rational Boomer Podcast is all about us. All right, we know the big news on Friday. There was former White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, testified in front of the January 6th committee. Now, he did it behind closed doors. However, it was videotaped. And the January 6th committee is suggesting that they will be using some of that video in upcoming hearings, which is good news. I mean, Pat Cipollone may be the guy to break the camel's back. He was the guy that was in the middle of it. He represented the office of the presidency, not Donald Trump. He was the guy that stood around and said, now you can't do that, that's illegal or that's unconstitutional. He was kind of like a cop trying to keep the, uh, the administration in line. However, we know Donald Trump doesn't give a fuck about rules or laws or the Constitution, so he did whatever he wanted to do. Now, he is even noted as saying Cassidy Hutchinson... Um, said this in her testimony, that uh, when it came to the idea of Donald Trump going to the Capitol on January 6th, Cipollone said, you can't do that. We'll be charged with every crime there possibly is. So Cipollone knew what was going on. He knew all this stuff was illegal. He did kind of pander to Donald Trump during the time he was in office because he really had no other choice. But there's no indication that Pat Cipollone did anything to break the law. However, he is a lawyer. He is a respected lawyer. And he was in the White House when all this shit was going on. So the idea of an eyewitness to all the things that Donald Trump did is going to testify or did testify in front of the January 6th committee is terrifying to fucking Donald Trump, I guarantee you, and to the Republicans and to the Republican sitting members of Congress. Now, of course, I heard from a lot of Democrats saying, oh, he'll just plead the fifth or he'll lie or he won't say anything. And these people come with this from nothing. There's no basis to suggest that. In my mind, these are people who have been tired of being disappointed by uh, all the things that Donald Trump got away with, and now they're pouting and saying, oh, nothing ever is going to happen. Well, I beg to differ. Pat Cipollone has no reason to lie. In fact, he has every reason not to lie. He is a respected lawyer. He's done with the Donald Trump situation, and and he was kind of separate from Donald Trump's own attorneys. He was there to be a policeman in the White House. I'm sure he was frustrated, upset, and scared by watching all the things that were happening and that these people were not taking his advice. So he's the perfect guy to talk to, and I think uh, Donald Trump is very nervous about that. What's interesting is we had Cassidy Hutchinson testify. 
And, of course, when she was talking about the Secret Service agents and the things that Pat Cipollone said, everybody said, well, she's just a liar. She's not responsible. She's not trustworthy. Everything she said is a lie, which, of course, is not true. Much of the things she saw were firsthand, so she's a good witness. Now, that said, the Pat Cipollone interview is over. We're going to see some video in the coming hearings. Former White House counsel Pat Cipollone did not contradict the testimony of any other witness when he was interviewed Friday by members of the January 6th panel. And that comes from Representative Zoe Lofgren, Democrat from California, who happens to be on the January 6th committee. But Lofgren clarified on Wolf Blitzer on CNN that Cipollone also did not necessarily confirm information from other witnesses, though he never said another witness was wrong. In some cases, he was not present, so couldn't comment or didn't recall an event with precision, said Lofgren. Lofgren described Cipollone's nearly eight-hour testimony as a grueling day because of the length of time, but said it was also well worth it. He answered a whole variety of questions and revealed some new information, which the panel will soon share, she added. That's good news. The important thing to remember, Cipollone is a lawyer. So he's going to sit there and do uh, lawyer speak and try to avoid certain things that might, I don't know, implicate him. So, of course, he's going to dance around some questions, but he never once pleaded the fifth. And he did answer a lot of questions, and as Zoe Lofgren just said, revealed some new information. Lofgren's comment about Cipollone not contradicting other witnesses could be particularly relevant to the bombshell testimony last week from Cassidy Hutchinson, as I mentioned, a former aide to Donald Trump's White House Chief of Staff, Mark Meadows. She was in the thick of it, too. Her office was between Mark Meadows and the Oval Office, so it's not like she wasn't there. She testified that Cipollone was adamant that Trump not join the protesters at the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, warning that if he did, we are going to get charged with every crime imaginable, Hutchinson quoted him as saying. But sources told CNN that members of the January 6 panel did not specifically ask Cipollone about that portion of Hutchinson's testimony concerning Trump going to the Capitol. Not sure why. If asked, he would not have confirmed that particular statement. Okay, I get it. The sources told CNN, It wasn't immediately clear if Cipollone wouldn't confirm it because the statement wasn't accurate or he couldn't comment because of the attorney-client privilege. Hutchinson said she also heard Cipollone telling Meadows that the mob was literally calling for Vice President Mike Pence to be fucking hung. She, she swore that she heard that. Now, when Meadows replied that Trump believes Mike deserves it, Hutchinson testified. Cipollone replied, this is fucking crazy. The next televised hearing held by January 6th panel is, of course, Tuesday, when Lofgren said the committee will be connecting various dots. So you're probably thinking to yourself, why did they not ask him the specific questions? Well, that's a good question in its own right. The fact of the matter is, is if they ask him that question, 
and he does something to push it off or whatever, he probably wouldn't out and out say, yeah, that's absolutely right. That's what I've said. He's not going to commit to that thing. So he's going to kind of brush it off or go off to one side. And if they do that, well, then, then of course, the Republicans will come in and say, see, he said she was lying. When, in fact, he didn't say that. He just wasn't going to commit himself to admit that he said those things. And that's not surprising, given he's a fucking lawyer. So there was some strategy there as, a, as to why they wouldn't ask him the specific questions. I think maybe if you were in court, they would ask those specific questions. But in this scenario, in, in a uh, hearing like this, they were very careful because they wanted to get the answers they want and not throw any confusion into this mess. And you know as well as I do, a fucking lawyer can confuse the fuck out of everything. But nothing he said did contradict anything that Cassidy Hutchinson said, and that's a good enough answer. It's maybe not a totally transparent answer, but that's how fucking lawyers deal with shit. So... It's going to be interesting to see how they weave Cipollone's testimony into coming hearings, whether they'll do it Tuesday uh, or um, Thursday. I'm thinking Tuesday, though, because we're talking about January 6th. And the Tuesday hearing is supposed to be about connecting the dots between the domestic terrorists, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, and the others with those people in Congress, the White House, and Ginny Thomas. They may use that to help connect the dots with those folks. And if they do this on Tuesday, the fucking bombshells that will come out of that hearing will make Cassidy Hutchinson's testimony seem pale by comparison. We'll see what happens. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. I'm not going to act like I'm some psychic here that knows for sure. I'm just trying to read the situation as to what they're doing and knowing that every hearing henceforth is going to be bigger than, than the last one. They no doubt have set it up this way. They've got a TV producer helping them, so they know exactly how to present this stuff. It's going to be entertaining to watch nonetheless. Now, here's a fun story, <laughs> and it's not going to be what you think, but it's still funny. Heavily armed police officers swarmed former White House strategist Steve Bannon's Washington home Friday in a so-called swatting attack after someone called in a false report of a man with a gun. As reported in the Washington Post, the caller said the unidentified man had shot someone, according to the Post. Now, the idea that Bannon would lose his shit and shoot somebody, not out of the realm of possibility, but it didn't really happen. This was some gamer fuck that decided he was going to make uh, make uh, Steve Bannon's life a more little more difficult. And I'm all for that. I'm all for that. Police shut down streets to cut off the block where Bannon's Capitol Hill row house is located near the U.S. Capitol and the Supreme Court. The alarm was lifted about an hour after the late morning call, according to the Post. A police spokesman told the newspaper that the phone call appeared to be a swatting attack in which a false report triggers a startling law enforcement response. 
Now, Bannon told NBC News later as he was re-entering his home that the police were terrific. It wasn't clear whether Bannon was at home when the police first arrived, the Post noted. Jeffrey Carroll, an assistant District of Columbia police chief, told the reporters that the officers walked through Bannon's home and uh, spoke with those inside to make it safe. They were a little bit shocked, but obviously they understood why we were there, Carroll said. Now, as much as it's kind of funny, as much as it is fake, uh, maybe it's kind of like a dry run. Because you know Steve Bannon's going to go down the shitter here pretty quick. He's going to be in jail for a little while. Uh, It's interesting because now Steve Bannon is talking about, well, maybe I'll talk, maybe I'll talk. And then even... Even Donald Trump is saying, yeah, I might lift the executive privilege so he can talk. Here's the thing. That's weird. And that's troubling to hear him say that. Steve Bannon is a fucking nutcase. Donald Trump is not helpful. The idea that Steve Bannon may want to talk and Donald Trump is going to let him talk, that doesn't tell me we're going to get good information. This is Steve Bannon wanting to get in the mix, create chaos and problems for the January 6th committee. Now, Steve Bannon wanted to extend his trial out even further, but they're not going to do that. They don't need Steve Bannon to testify, and I think they should avoid letting him testify. That's like allowing a wolf in the hen house. Maybe he's going to be up front and just, you know, give in so he can get some time off his uh, sentence, ultimately. But uh, I don't buy that with, with Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon is somebody who's going to constantly say that he's right. He's never going to give in. He's like Donald Trump. And it looks like Donald Trump and Steve Bannon are trying to set some trap. Now, mind you, th- this would fucking fail horribly. It would fail horribly. They would interview him behind closed doors. And if he did the crazy shit that he might do, they just would just stop it and say, no, we're not using that. But Steve Bannon thinks of himself as a genius that he can talk people in circles. And he's not that bright. And neither is Donald Trump. So the idea that all of a sudden he wants to talk and Donald Trump's in favor of it, I think that is a red flag, and we should tell Steve Bannon, no, you did what you did. Go to trial, go to jail, and we don't give a fuck about you anymore. Hopefully that's what they'll do. And the January 6th committee is pretty smart. So I would suspect that is the way they're going to handle that situation. All right. Appearing on MSNBC's Katie Fane show, Donald Trump's niece, you remember Mary, Mary's got some interesting insights to her uncle. She said her uncle is likely shaking in his boots after hearing former White House counsel Pat Cipollone spent over eight hours talking with investigators working for House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol riot. Now, Cipollone, who reportedly Uh, warned former White House aide Cassidy Hutchinson that the the administration was dangerously close to committing multiple crimes. We talked about that earlier. 
Trump inner circle tried to overturn the election while also inciting the insurrection, they were expecting him to claim executive privilege. Now, in some things he did. Of course, any private conversations with Donald Trump, that could be executive privilege or lawyer-client privilege. But he wasn't his lawyer, so that really doesn't fit either. Um, However, the amount of time he spent has raised eyebrows among observers who believe that he may have been more forthcoming than expected. And you know, Donald Trump, he's expecting the worst, so he's going to start flailing around. Speaking with host Fang, Mary Trump said her uncle is definitely alarmed at what may have been revealed. What do you think is going through his mind right now, host Fang asked. There is an even larger amount of damning testimony that is coming out. Notably, he did not attack Pat Cipollone before he testified before the committee. To say that Donald Trump is terrified is accurate. It is also an understatement, she began. I think this might be the first time in his entire life that even he can't deny the walls are closing in. The amount of evidence that we see coming out of these committee hearings is overwhelming. Even more troubling for him is the witnesses coming forward, she elaborated. They are increasingly important in terms of access and their positions in his administration. It is not at all surprising that he would pull his punches when it came to Pat Cipollone. Yeah, he doesn't want to piss Pat off because he figures that might cause him problems. But nonetheless, he's probably got a lot of problems with this situation. Donald Trump is nervous, and we'll start to recognize how nervous he is because he's going to start to spiral out of control. He's going to start saying and doing things that are even more outrageous and crazy. He will be desperate to try to take the narrative away or or cover it up and and change it with whatever he says. He's in an unfortunate situation, though, right now because he doesn't have the power to do that. This man is on the slide to the end of his, end of everything, his life as he's known it. He's on the slide. He's spiraling out of control. And once this January 6th committee stuff is done and some of the other investigations, Donald Trump will without question crash. But that doesn't mean that Donald Trump isn't, is done talking. Oh, he's not done talking. Former President Trump used a rally in Anchorage, Alaska on Saturday to target Senator Lisa Murkowski, Republican from Alaska, who's up for re-election this November, asserting that she's worse than a Democrat. That's what Donald Trump said about her. While Trump was in the state to campaign for several candidates, he has endorsed, uh, he focused much more on Murkowski, calling her a lousy senator, shortly after beginning his stump speech. He said she's a total creature of the Washington swamp, but much worse than that, and a tool of a corrupt establishment, the likes of which we've never seen. I love how he always says that. This is the most egregious thing ever in the history of the world. He always exaggerates. And that's when you know everything he's saying is lying. He went on to say, the fake news media loves her, Trump said. 
Now, the former president criticized Murkowski for opposing the confirmation of Justice Brett Kavanaugh while joining two other Republican senators and all 50 Democrats to vote for Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson's Supreme Court confirmation. He also slammed her for her vote in favor of a bipartisan gun safety legislation passed in the wake of high-profile shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde, Texas, and now Chicago. It's funny, there's an interview out there that uh, Donald Trump specifically said when he was talking about the problems with uh, these shootings, and this was before he became president. He said, well, I think the first thing is take away the guns. But now he's a champion for the NRA and giving everybody guns. This is your precious chance to dump the horrific rhino. Senator Lisa Murkowski, who's worse than a Democrat, she's worse than a Democrat, Trump said, using the acronym for Republican in name only. That's that's his new catchphrase. That's the new catchphrase of all the Trump fucks. Trump endorsed Alaska Senate candidate uh, Kelly Chibaka, called Murkowski Biden's CEO, adding that she was his chief enabling officer. Now, of course, Donald Trump didn't write that. Some fuck gave him that information, and he thought it was clever. This is what Donald Trump loves to do. He likes to make up nicknames for people or or put out words, like, for example, the select committee. He calls them the unselect committee. Oh, man, that is just just a arrow to your heart. Donald Trump is such a fucking child. He can't even insult people at a level above seventh grade. Trump's rally in Alaska comes ahead of the state's August 16th primary. Uh, Cook Political Report rates the Senate race as a solid Republican, meaning that whoever wins the GOP primary will be considered the heavy favorite in November. Now, Lisa Murkowski, I don't like her because she's a Republican and she's a conservative, but she's better than any other Republican in that primary or any other Republican in the state of Alaska. Now, this is a hard one. Do we hope for Murkowski to get beat because then the crazy bitch will come in and the Democrat will have an easier time to beat her? Or is it just so Republican they'll vote in another crazy fucking trump fuck? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but we'll watch it very closely. Former president also praised former Alaska Governor Sarah Palin, who is running for the state's sole House seat and is another of Trump's endorsees. She will be a true warrior for your state and for the country, Trump said of Palin during his rally. Hmm. You know, to be perfectly honest with you, in my mind, Sarah Palin was the start of the slide of the Republican Party. Now, I had a lot of respect for uh, John McCain. I even thought he might make a decent president at one point. Uh, But when they made John McCain take Sarah Palin as a uh, vice presidential candidate, that's when John McCain got fucked. This woman was stupid, she was outrageous, and she's still stupid and outrageous. She looked good, so they figured that would help at the polls, too. Um, 
But now she's trying to come back. Apparently she's divorced now, maybe having trouble finding a job. So she figures, I'll take the easy way out. I'll try to run for the House of Representatives. There's only one House of Representative from Alaska, so who gives a fuck? But if Sarah Palin gets elected, I've lost complete respect for the state of Alaska. I mean, how, how could you possibly, after all we know about Sarah Palin, how could you possibly elect her into office? So we'll see what happens with Sarah Palin. We'll see what happens with Lisa Murkowski. I'd love to see some Democrats take over in uh, Alaska. I just don't think that's going to happen. It's, it's, it, I've never been to Alaska, but I know that uh, it's a whole different world in Alaska. It's like the Old West up there. At least that's what I've been told by people who have been up there, who have lived up there. Now, I'd love to go to Alaska to see the scenery. It's absolutely gorgeous there. My wife wants to go, um, and we probably will at some point. But um, there's nothing that's come out of Alaska that seems normal. Murkowski is the closest thing, and she's still a conservative Republican. She's still voting with Donald Trump, even though she went against him a couple times. So I don't know what the fuck's going to happen up there, but Donald Trump is going to be done. If his endorsee doesn't win in Alaska, that's just another failure that he's had. See, with all that's going on with the January 6th committee and all his endorsees not getting the candidacy for the Republican Party, he's becoming more and more of a liability to the Republican Party. And as I've said this, I've said this many times, there is no loyalty in the fucking political business. The moment you are not of value to a political party, you are banished, you are gone, you don't fucking matter. And it doesn't matter if it's their Lord and Savior, Donald Trump. The moment he is a liability, and he's becoming more and more of a liability every day, the moment he becomes a liability, that fucker's gone, they're going to be on to something else. Hopefully it's better, but I doubt it. I don't have a lot of hope for the Republican Party. I don't think they are um, um, a healthy party at this point. I don't think the Republican Party is what we once knew the Republican Party to be. Now, uh, you know, in the old days, you may hated the Republicans and voted against the Republicans, but at least you knew they weren't going to try to overthrow the government. We don't know that now. We don't know if they're going to try to overthrow the government if they get back into office. And this circles back around to the one thing we need to do. It's really up to us. It's not up to Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, or the Democrats, or the progressives, or any of them. It's all up to us right now, and you need to understand that. If we don't come out in mass, meaning the Democrats, and if we don't get bigger majorities in the House than the Senate— we are fucked. If it stays the same, we are fucked because nothing will get done. We need to expand the majorities in both the House and Senate. And if the Democrats lose the House and Senate or any one of the two, we're in trouble too. This country's in trouble. So note that. Understand we can scream at Biden. We can scream at all these people. But right about now, it's up to us. 
watch these hearings. Let's try to change the minds of some of the reasonable Republicans just enough to win the fucking elections. That's what we need to do. We're not going to change the minds of the people in the base. So fuck them. Forget about them. We need to focus on those people that may be on the edge or least have a reasonable mind. will understand you have a choice of either voting for criminals or people that are trying to do something for this country. And hopefully common sense and decency will win out with those folks. And even 20% or 30% of the, of the Republicans will be enough to destroy the Republican Party in the midterms. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen. I hope you have a great day. And we will be back Monday morning. Headed into a fucking crazy week. So stick around. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time. Next time.